Like you can tell somebody what they need to do. I can give you a training plan. I can tell you the specific actions you need to take, what you need to be doing off the range, on the range. I can tell you every single thing, but you will not be good. You will not be successful until you want those things for yourself. Hey there. Welcome to episode 29 of The Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it's all about learning tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. As always, I'm your host, Matt Robertson. Our website is everydaymarksman.co, and there you're going to find our blog, our podcast, our social links, and our awesome community of marksmen. So let's get right into the topic of the day. If you're new to the show, then welcome. The theme of this month is sharpening the edge, and that means competition. And I couldn't think of a better way to talk about competition than with an actual Olympic rifle shooter. So today we are interviewing Amanda Banta, who was a three-position women's small board competitor in the 2012 Olympic Games in London, and now she is a performance coach, not only for shooting, but businesses and graduates and, and just personal life advice. Uh, she is awesome. This was a very fun conversation. We kind of went all over the place from her growing up, starting at 11 years old as a shooter, competing in the Olympics by the time she was a junior in college. And then all the speaking she's done, we get some shooting advice. We get some life advice. It was just a good, awesome interview. Now, as always, if you are strapped for time, you can jump to the last 10 minutes or so, and you'll get my key takeaways from our interview with Amanda today. So, all right. Now, with that, let's go ahead and get to it. Amanda, welcome to the Everyday Marksman. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, uh, let's get right to it. I have, of course, I have a whole background here and everything. Um, I heard you've been shooting since you were 11 years old. Is that true? Yeah. I started competing when I was 11. I basically only started because my sister was doing it. Um, my dad was a coach down at the Spokane Junior Rifle Club. And he, so he had my sister competing and being an annoying younger sister, I wanted to beat her. So I started practicing there and um, I loved it as soon as I started and kind of took it from there. I started training at home, training at the local club there. Um, going to some local matches, that kind of thing. Um, I thought it was kind of just a fun local activity to do. I didn't know all the possibilities until I started diving deeper in. So I want to ask going way back to the beginning then, because I heard a rumor about putting holes in the garage door. Is that true? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. And what's even worse is that my dad has actually left them up. Um, he thinks it's a funny story. So yeah. Um, before they would let me actually shoot with the, with the Spokane junior rifle team, uh, he decided to train me at home just with an air rifle. So my parents have a garage and then they have a shop kind of about 10 meters away, which is the distance for air rifle. So he had me laying down in the garage and shooting at, um, the shop doors with a big, um, he put a big backboard of like refrigerator cardboard and, um, that kind of thing. So it, I had a pretty decent backboard there. And he went inside for just a minute. He had me all set up. I was practicing and, um, you know, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. He went inside for just a minute. And when he came back out, he was looking at my shots through the scope and he's like, you know, I don't see any shots on the target. So where are they going? And so I stopped shooting and he went down to the shop and noticed that there were little black marks all over the garage door. So I was shooting everywhere besides the target. Um, 
it just really goes to show that, you know, you might start off (laughs) in a really bad place, but you really can achieve anything if you work hard. Yeah, it's kind of funny. That sounds like my first time going to the range ever, uh, except it was the 30-06. And uh, yeah, I wasn't ready for that one. Yeah, that'll have a little bit bigger effects than just an air rifle. (laughs) Um, Yeah, before I started shooting anything bigger um, or any bigger calibers, I I gained a little bit more skill. So let's talk about that progression then. So started shooting at 11 and kind of local like a junior matches. And then um, before you graduated from college, if I'm not mistaken, you competed in the Olympics. So yeah. <laughs> walk me through kind of how that progression happened. So like I mentioned before, I really didn't know how far shooting precision rifle could go. I was really doing it for fun and to be my sister which my sister and I are close. So (laughs) it was, we had a really fun junior team. It was primarily females, um, which was kind of unique for a, for a junior rifle club. And, uh, we would all have sleepovers and go to matches and it was really just a fun thing to do and, um, kind of a healthy activity to be involved in. You know, there's a lot of focus involved and discipline involved. So it's a really good thing for, for younger kids to do. But, I started going to local matches and eventually that spread out to going to state matches. And I remember specifically, I went to this match in Vancouver, Washington, where this girl named Sarah Blakesley, she would shoot and she um, was on an Olympic team. I don't remember which year, (laughs) sorry, probably 2004. Um, She was on an Olympic team and she was at that match competing because it was her local range. And I went in there and was like, Oh, this girl is super cool. You know, she, um, she had cute style, but she was also a really good shooter and this super sweet. And I was like, I want to be like her. So, um, started shooting more of those local matches, heard about some other matches that you can go to, you know, like the, uh, national junior Olympics and, um, some of the other kind of national matches. And, um, I was really surprised to hear about all these other matches that were happening with USA shooting and not just NRA, not just CMP. Some of those ones that I'd been going to as a junior shooter or as a young shooter, um, they led me to hearing about these USA shooting matches. So I was training, um, decided to shoot in the, um, the qualifications for the junior Olympics when I was, uh, 12 and I qualified for the junior Olympics when I was 13 and I went there and I really, I hadn't ever shot against any of these people. I mean, this was a national competition and they were younger shooters. You know, I was the youngest age group. So everybody was 12, 13, but it was still really intimidating because I'd only ever shot against my, uh, my local shooters, the state shooters in Washington. And so going to this national competition was really intimidating for me. And I remember I had been looking at all of these scores that I'd been seeing. And, um, one of my best friends now, her name's Sandy Fong, she had, um, national records. She had won the NAS, the last national junior Olympic championship. And I was super intimidated. I thought there's no way that I could ever, beat Sandy Fong or any of these other girls that I'd been seeing their name all over. And I went there and I actually ended up meddling. And on the way back from, uh, from the match, I told my dad, I wanted to quit soccer, quit everything else. And I was going to go to the Olympics, uh, for shooting. And it seems so strange looking back now, because what are the chances that that would actually happen? You know, out of the, the percentage of people that are involved in sports and that actually want to go to the Olympics. I mean, that's a huge, anybody can say that they want to go to the Olympics, but to actually make that happen is just, mm-hmm. I mean, there's it, just a, such a small chance. Um, but after I went to that, the junior Olympics there, I had proceeded to keep shooting. And my next goal after the junior Olympic match was, okay, I need to make the national team. 
And so um, I worked hard for a few years to try and make the national team. And it just seemed like it was never happening. It was um, a lot of these matches to qualify for the national team. You had to get first or second at a national championship um, or one of the other national matches. And I was like, I would get so close, but I always seemed to be third place or fourth place. And I was never making first or second until um, I was 16. And we were at the trials for the Pan American Games. And I ended up qualifying to shoot in the Pan American Games. So um, here I was 16 years old. I finally made the national team. Um, I went to my first Pan American Games, uh, which leading up to that, actually, for training, we had went to World Cups. I had I shot my first World Cup in Australia, shot a World Cup in Munich. Um, I don't even maybe South Korea that year. I don't even remember. I've been to too many places for shooting at this point. But I am I shot the Pan American Games when I was 16 and won a bronze medal there. And thought, okay, you know, now is my time. I'm national team. I won an international medal. Um, let's push for the Olympics. And 2008 rolled around. I was 17 years old, still in high school, tried out. Um, I got third place at that match. So I ended up being alternate on the team, but that's not good enough uh, for me. I, I wanted to actually be competing on the team. Um, went to college two years later, I guess, and competed on the Ohio State rifle team until I hit my junior year. I saw some of my friends start to qualify for the Olympic teams and I decided that I really needed that for myself. Took some time off college, went and trained at the Olympic training center for a few months, qualified for that Olympic team and, um, got to compete in the Olympics. So, I mean, it was a long process of getting there, but it really, it was just one goal leading to another goal and just constantly pursuing those goals and going after them. And when I got to the point of actually achieving the goal, it didn't feel like that was the end of the road. It always felt like once I achieved that goal, I'd already had another goal in mind that I was going for. So it was just another stepping stone to get further and further down the line um, mm-hmm. until, you know, I actually got to compete in the Olympics. So one question that I, comes up when listening to that, listening to the story, which is a great story, by the way. Thanks. Um, so you mentioned the kind of the frustration of coming in third place, never quite getting that, that top two finishers. How did, how did you keep that motivation to keep plugging away at it? Like, like, would you get frustrated with that? Or did it make you want to stop ever? Oh yeah. Um, I wanted to quit countless times. I remember specifically wanting to be done once and, um, like actually just completely stop once. And that was right after that 2008 Olympic trials because I had sacrificed so much at that point, um, just normal kid things that you're doing in high school, you know, like hanging out with your friends and going to sleepovers, dances. Um, I did go to dances in high school, but I also had to miss some for competitions. And um, I kind of decided, you know, I've sacrificed so much, like what, what am I doing this for? And uh, that lasted about two days of me. <laughs> I mean, wanted to quit. So it only lasted just a couple days and I was back on the rifle, like, okay, I'm ready to do this again. So, um, but it, sometimes there were times when it was a struggle to climb back out of that, that hole of just being frustrated and not seeing the scores. And, um, shooting is one of those sports where, you know, you could have incredible scores for one day, one week, one month, one year, even maybe. And then suddenly you're in a trough and you're, it seems like you can't hit anything. And it's like, why is this happening? And you have to figure out how to climb back out of that. And I mean, that's just constant. You just have the peaks and troughs within the scores and within your, your mental game. And it's just figuring out how to work through those, um, those ups and downs. And it happens to everybody. And a lot of people have a a really tough time climbing back out of those, um, 
those holes when the scores just aren't there um, and you're not feeling it. But I think it's part of, it's part of the winning mindset of being able to climb back out of that and just keep going. So what you just said reminds me a lot of um, Lanny Basham, who you probably already know. Yeah. know of <laughs> um, but what you said is exactly what something he said when it came to goals, which is uh, I've kind of thought about this a lot. What does it actually look like when he says that you should have a goal you're willing to sacrifice your life for? And doesn't mean in the literal sense that I'm going to die for my goal. But like you just pointed out, it's the dedication to not do all the fun things that you want to do because you have work, work to put in. And then also setting that next goal along the chain. It's not just being happy right now. I mean, that's my interpretation of it. I don't know. What do you think of that? Oh, no, I totally agree. Um, I always think goal setting is really easy, but it's sticking to the goals. That's the hard part. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly as I was going through the process of making the Olympic team competing me in, in the Olympics, it was always a process of going from one goal to the next, but having those smaller goals were, was not the end point. You know, there was never really an end point to my goals. It was just like, they were all, like I said before, just stepping stones along the way to get to the bigger goal, the bigger picture, um, you know, and finding my way there and sacrificing a lot along the way, as far as normal everyday activities go. But what I found was that when I was reaching those goals, everything that I sacrificed was completely worth it. I ended up making different friends and I ended up doing different things. And maybe I didn't get to go to the dance, but instead I got to go to Europe for two weeks or three weeks to go compete. So, I mean, the things I was sacrificing in the end, I ended up learning so much more and just gaining so much more experience in life and in shooting and learning more about myself and the world along the way. And fortunately for me, I got to do this at such a young age and take it with me into my twenties. And now I get to bring all those experiences with me as um, a mother and as a wife and as, you know, trying to start off in business. There's just everything that I learned growing up now applies in other areas of my life. So let's talk about that then. What, what are, what are the top lessons you think shooting have taught you over time? Oh man. Um, a lot of it is about control. I, I can have a lot of patience. <laughs> um, and just, I mean, that's, uh, that's a shooting thing in general. I mean, if you can have patience, that's a huge thing for shooting. Um, but I've been able to apply that in life as well. Um, and definitely goal setting goal setting has been big. That's, um, that's applied in all areas of my life. And let me think what else I got. I've probably, I've just learned countless amounts of lessons, but they're things that I naturally apply at this point. So, um, it's not something I think about like, Oh, you know, this is something I learned before. It's something that I'm already doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, something that I realized that other people maybe are not doing, um, or something that I realized might be able to help other people as well. But a lot of it, a lot of it revolves around goals and how to optimize the outcome of those goals. So, um, I've become really good at scheduling, sticking to a plan, um, creating goals and then actually putting forth the effort to see those goals through. Um, and there's a lot of little things that, that come along with that, like, um, visualization and stress management and, um, kind of just a generally healthy mental mindset, um, physical training. There's just all these things that factor in, um, and it really is just countless lessons. But um, some of these things I, I talk about on my blog, I just started a blog. And um, I've been talking about some of these lessons I've learned because I just I just don't really think about it anymore. It's something that I just naturally do. And so I've been going back and trying to think about like, what are the things that have really helped me along the way? And what are some things that I think can help other people as far as um, in business, in athletics, in school, 
Um, and so many things apply. Oh, I definitely agree. And like earlier you mentioned like the focus and discipline side of it. And I think it was, I don't know, I, I feel like it was Jeff Cooper who said something along the lines of uh, good marksmanship is almost like a, a parallel to like good, good citizenship or something like just being a good person because of focus and discipline to do well at it. Oh, I can totally see it. Definitely. I mean, that sounds right. It's, um, it's kind of funny. I, at this point where I'm at, I can really, you can see somebody that's going to be a good shooter, um, by getting to know them, you know, not, not actually physically seeing them, but getting to know somebody can, uh, you can almost tell if they're going to be a good shooter. It's like, do they have that, the patience, the control, the dedication, and there's an, um, there's an internal need to be good. It's like a, it's a personal need to be good. Like I can tell somebody over and over what they need to do. And I found this in, well, in coaching, it's like, you can tell somebody what they need to do. I can give you a training plan. I can tell you the specific actions you need to take, what you need to be doing off the range, on the range. I can tell you every single thing, but you will not be good. You will not be successful until you want those things for yourself, until you take ownership and want to be good for yourself and want to be better and want to achieve you. It's just such a personal, um, you have to own those training, those training sessions. You have to own the match and take responsibility for everything. Um, and you can almost see it. Like I said, when you are talking to somebody, you're like, do they have that? Do they have that internal desire or do they just say they want to win? Like, do they actually want to win? Like, is this a person that will actually take the steps to be the best? I think there's, there's something to be said for, uh, if something is important to you, you make the time to actually do it versus, Oh, I got busy make excuses to not have to do it. I think that's a big distinction to me. Uh, I, I, I'm not an Olympic shooter by any means, but I mean, I do teach professionally, uh, in the private sector. And I see that kind of thing all the time. Like it's, if it's not important to you, you're not going to make time for it. You're not going to get good. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's what it is. I mean, it's, you ha- it's kind of like what we're seeing in the last, um, little bit with people at home. It's, do they actually carve out time to still work on the things that need to be done? And that, I mean, that happens year round. It happens in any, anything that you're doing, business, athletics, life in general, you know, do you carve out time for the things that you really want to do? And then to take it a step further, are you mentally involved in the things that you're working on? Are you just checking off boxes or are you actually there? Are you present? Are you mentally present, physically present in what you're doing and actually working hard with the time that you dedicated to working on your task? I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier. So you said you've gotten really good at, at goal setting and making a plan to see that through. I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Tell me what it looks like for you to set a goal. Is there a process to that? Or you just kind of throw up like, here's my standard smart goal. I'm going to throw on the refrigerator in the morning. Uh, there's a general goal. I guess I never really. So if I take it back to when I was younger, my, the big goal was since I was 13, I was like, I'm going to make an Olympic team. I want to shoot in the Olympics. So Um, I call that like the dream goal that was, um, it could be highly unlikely, uh, that it can happen, but something that's possible, maybe something impossible in some people's minds. And I knew to make the Olympic team, I had to be top one or two in the country. So that was the goal kind of below that was like, okay, I need to start winning national championships. Um, below that, I'm like, okay, what are the things that I need to do to win a national championship? And it was, you know, qualifying for the national team, competing in some of these other competitions. Um, there were certain scores I need to be achieving and, um, 
certain physical things I need to be doing, mental training. Um, you know, I listed all these things. And then below that, I'm like, what are the actionable items? What are things that I can do to achieve those, those steps to making the national team, which would lead me towards making the Olympic team. And it was, okay, I'm going to set out a weekly plan. And so when I, from 13 years old on, I had calendars all over. I had these, I printed out these calendar pages. So I had each month, I had a January, February, March, um, for the whole year, basically. And it lined out all these matches I was going to go to. And every single day, I had some kind of training that I was going to do. And this was something that I created for myself. Um, you know, nobody can make these plans for you. You have to make the plans for yourself and stick to them. So I was taking ownership of my training. And I every day would have some kind of training, whether it was shooting air rifle, shooting small bore, um, mental training, physical training. I had everything lined out what I was going to do and what specifically I was going to do. So it was maybe shoot prone, kneeling, um, the next day I'd be shoot standing. The next day was, you know, shoot 80 shots air rifle or whatever it was. I had very specific things that I was going to work on. Some days it would be dry firing. Um, so there were actionable items to hold me accountable for my goals. So I would go after these. I knew what I needed to do. I would go after these, these actionable items that would lead towards the bigger items of achieving the scores that I wanted to get, which would lead to winning national matches and um, that's what happened. You know, I just kept changing the actionable items to fit my goals. And the scores I was trying to achieve just kept getting higher and higher and higher to the point that there's almost nothing physically you can do to make it better. But then it was focused on mental tasks. So it was, you know, maintaining the physical, but optimizing the mental tasks. And um, just one thing was would lead to another to achieve those higher goals. So something you mentioned twice in this conversation so far is physical training. Uh, I want to ask, what do you mean by that? Um, so there's two things, I guess. Um, physical training, sometimes I mean actually shooting. So physically shooting um, opposed to visualization or mental training. So um, actually shooting or, you know, working on the body itself, which a lot of it for me, we did a lot of physical training as far as balance, um, core work, that kind of thing. Because you're, We were in matches for, for my small ball matches, they were about two hours and then you'd have a final later on in the day. So it was kind of maintaining the stamina to make it through that match. Um, and, you know, we're not moving around at all while we're shooting, uh, when we're actually in the position. But holding those rifles in place for that long can get tiring. And, um, you know, to just maintain a level of near perfection when you're trying to shoot these precision small bore matches, you need to have good core strength, um, you need to keep your cardio endurance up to keep your heart rate down. Um, there's a lot of different physical training in that aspect as well, just to help you be the best. And sometimes at a certain level, you know, the physical training is going to help as much, but when you're trying to be the best in the world, why would you not take every step possible to be the best? You know, I'm going to have the best balance. I'm going to have incredible core strength. I'm going to do everything that I physically can to be the best as well as mentally, as well as work on shooting itself. No, it's, it's funny. Um, I don't think most people look at shooting sports as much as a physical fitness thing, but I, you just pointed out the balance piece of it, even just the the shoulder strength. So as an example, um, I told my wife, I was gonna be interviewing you and, uh, she wanted to come along, but she's taking care of our son right now. But she, uh, I showed her a video of the Olympic games doing 10 meter air rifle. And she looked at the rifles that people were holding up and standing. And she was like, that just looks heavy to have to hold that up as steady as you have to do it. Cause what their 10 ring is the size of a dime. I think I'm in the air rifle. It's about the size of a pen dot. <laughs> yeah. 
So like literally oh, it's tiny. the size of a pen dot. It is tiny. Um, at 50 meter for small bore, um, it's about the size of a pinky nail, the 10 ring. Okay. And so your event was, was three position, 50 meter small bore. Yes. And I, I competed in all of it. So I did air rifle and, uh, 50 meter three position. Um, but my specialty, I would say was three position and that's where I usually won my medals. So that was all shooting small bore. Now, do you dabble with things that are like more longer range precision rifle? Um, I kind of shoot everything for fun. So <laughs> my dad shoots everything under the sun. And, um, so I've been to the range with him quite a few times to, to shoot. I actually just went shooting this past weekend, uh, with some people we were shooting long range stuff, uh, you know, a thousand yards, that kind of thing. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's more just for enjoyment though. I've never competed and I haven't decided if I have the desire to compete in anything else yet, because I am such a competitive person that I don't know that I could just do it for fun. I think that it would take over my life. <laughs> and, um, while that's all, that's all great. I'm like, Oh, I, I need to make sure that I'm focused on the things that I'm working on now. Um, but I do still enjoy going out to shoot, uh, long range stuff, pistols, um, everything with my husband, my dad, uh, some friends and have a good time with it. All right. So I want to come kind of pivot a little bit on the topic. Um, you alluded to this earlier and maybe you kind of have already answered it, but I want to just ask it again. Um, what does a winning mindset look like to you? There are probably three things that I could identify as being essential for a winning mindset. Uh, the first one is, would be resilience and this is something I've kind of thought about in the last year or so, um, how resiliency factors into things. And I think it's just being able to keep your same determination through your wins and your losses. And people kind of wonder that, what do you mean, um, keeping the same determination through your wins? And sometimes what you see is, when somebody finally achieves something that they've been wanting to achieve, um, you know, they've won something, they finally get to the good scores, they stop putting in as much effort and maybe they are still doing the same things, but it's being mentally present for those for what you're working on. So, um, it's actually being there when you're training and training the same way and still having that same drive and fire behind you. Um, the wins are almost just as hard as the losses. There's more pressure on you after you start winning because people are expecting you to win. So the expectations change. Um, you know, and when you're losing, all you want to do is get better. And it's, it's, it's a drive to get better and better and better, but you're, you're not seeing the results and you're working hard and it's trying to come back from those losses. So, um, the resiliency to just keep going and still maintain that same fire and that same drive. The next thing I would say is ownership. So it's ownership over your training, over your competitions. Um, in the end, you determine how they go, especially with shooting. It's you're the person behind that rifle. Um, you know, whether the wind's blowing, whether the sun's shining in a different way, whether your gun's dirty, um, you can probably make that rifle shoot a 10 if you want to. You can, you can get a good shot with that rifle. It's, are you going to be able to do that for every single shot? but you're in control of that in the end. So it's taking ownership of that and um, not finding things to blame and just really taking responsibility for that yourself. Um, the next thing I would say is control. 
and that's emotional control, physical control, mental control, um, not letting things get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. So it's just really having control over every single aspect. And that's one of those things that really applies in life as well. It's once you, if you're, if you're a top level shooter, you probably have control over a lot of things in your life. And, um, because you really have to apply that in shooting, um, you have to maintain patience. You have to maintain, um, you know, if you shoot a bad shot, how are you going to react to that? It's having control over those reactions. It's just control of every aspect of what you're doing when you're trying to shoot or do anything for that matter. Not just, not just shooting that, like that applies to anything in athletics, anything in business. Um, you have to have control over everything. So something you mentioned there was you, you mentioned business now twice as well. Um, so when you talk about doing coaching, are you doing coaching just for shooting? Or are you talking almost even like per, like per performance coaching across the board? Uh, so I'm, I'm actually starting to get into that. So I, um, I've given speeches a lot in the past to different organizations as, um, kind of a keynote speaker talking about, uh, goal setting and, um, I guess the winning mindset, it was just a little bit different than what I'm talking about here. Um, but so many of these things that I've learned from shooting really apply in business and, um, for people that are trying to be successful in anything. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've been dabbling in performance coaching and that's more or less why I started my blog is so that I can start teaching some of these lessons. And, um, it's not that I know everything. I, I mean, I don't, I know what's worked for me personally, but sharing those things that have worked for me personally might end up helping somebody else to be successful as well. And so it's kind of just opening a conversation, um, for what can we do to make people better at whatever they're doing essentially. So in a way you can almost say that like winning is winning. The process is not, not magic. It's just, you have to put it in the work to do it. Exactly. You just apply it to different things. It's the same process for everything. It's just, how do you apply that to what you're working on? All right. So here's a question for you. And that is, what does a mule mean to you? Yes. <laughs> I cheated and I looked at your blog. <laughs> okay. So that was kind of a, a funny one. I, so a mule is, uh, I learned this from a man that was talking to me about coin collecting and I know nothing about coins at all, but I was in New York and I was looking for some takeout and ended up stumbling upon this ramen restaurant. And, um, I went in and just wanted to eat quick and get out. And I sat next to this guy who's an older gentleman. Um, and he was flirting with the girl that was sitting next to us. And I'm like, Oh, please don't try and talk to me. And of course he tried to talk to me and he was telling me about the ramen and all this stuff. And he ended up telling me he was there for a coin convention and um, started showing me pictures of coins. And it's, it's kind of like when people show you pictures of um, their dogs or something, you're like, Oh, that's cute. Um, (laughs) You know, he just kept showing me pictures of different coins, which I know nothing about. Um, But he, um, he ended up telling me about these coins. And one specific thing that he was talking about that stuck with me was the mule coin. And he said, a mule coin is something that it's a coin that has a flaw, but that flaw makes it more valuable than other coins because it is very unlikely that a coin would even be produced with that flaw, let alone released to the public. So that was something that I, it just stuck with me because I thought, you know, everybody has these flaws um, or things that they consider flaws or maybe a unique characteristic or a unique skill um, that they can use to their advantage. 
And that's what these coins have. It's like, you know, they're, they're different, but because they're different, that's what makes them stand out. That's what makes them more valuable. So it's, what can I identify within myself that is unique? That is maybe something I consider a flaw that I can actually turn around and use it to my advantage and make it, um, you know, something that is worthwhile in my, in my business or in athletics or, um, in anything that I'm working on, what is something unique to myself that I can bring to this? It'll add value. And that's what a mule is to me. So now I consider, you know, it's not just a mule coin. It's like, what's, uh, how can I be a mule? Like, what is it within me that will make me a mule for this? Mm-hmm. I've heard. So if you started a blog, I don't know if you come across Pat Flynn yet. No, um, I haven't. If you haven't, if you haven't highly recommended, he, he is all about um, running a business and online and blogging and stuff. But um, he likes to say, what's your superpower? You know, what's the, what's the one thing that makes you unique that people will come to you for? And kind of sounds like a similar message. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just finding that unique thing, a characteristic, a flaw, a skill. Um, and the good news is I don't think that you have to be born with it. I think it's something that can be developed. Um, something I talked about on the blog was, well, in that same blog was that for me, I was really good at shooting in adverse weather conditions. Um, so strange lighting or wind or specifically rain, um, I would just crush it in the rain. So, um, you know, that was a skill that I developed over time, but that a lot of people didn't spend a whole lot of time trying to master. Um, especially like, well, growing up in Washington, like I didn't have, we didn't have great weather conditions all the time. I mean, we get all four seasons. So I learned how to shoot in the cold. I learned how to shoot in the heat. I learned how to shoot in the wind and the rain and in strange lighting conditions. I learned how to shoot in all that. Um, and I grew up 50 meters was an outdoor range. Um, so, you know, I learned how to shoot all of these in all these conditions. And that became what my thing for shooting. I'm like, I know if it's freezing cold outside, I'm going to shoot really well because I know how to shoot good in this condition. Um, I know what I need. You know, I bring my hand warmers. I dress appropriately for the weather, but I can also shoot. And I know that I can shoot in those conditions. So along with having the skill, it was also the confidence that I had that skill. Um, you know, and I think that in everything that I've tried, there's been one specific thing that I've learned to master. And that became the thing that, you know, I'm the go-to for that. I'm I'm the go-to person for it. And I think that everybody can find that thing within themselves or at least develop a skill. I know I I probably shouldn't ask this. You say like, you're so far beyond my skill level. It's like, why would I ask an Olympian for basic, (laughs) basic marksmanship advice on something? But if you could offer, um, the, like for someone who may not have access to a regular range, like they just really have to do a lot of dry practice, or they are um, just not at that level. Do you have any kind of advice for how to get a better training session in? Oh, yes, absolutely. So no, this is a good question. This is a really good question because there are so many small things that you can do that will just absolutely change um, change your training sessions and really affect how you're going to perform in competition. Um, some of those things, I would say there are probably three things that I would dive into. One is breathing. So have control over your breathing. Um, it depends on what kind of shooting you're working on. Cause I know some, some of the more fast paced stuff, you don't necessarily have time to take two deep breaths between each shot, you know? So the breathing is going to be, um, different for whatever discipline you're working on, but learn the type of breathing that works best for what you're doing. So whether it's, you need to plan when you take your breaths, how long you take your breaths for, because, the oxygen, it's going to help your eyesight, uh, which helps your shooting. So, um, and you know, if you're breathing, you're performing better. So learn when you should be breathing and how you should be breathing for your discipline. 
Um, the next thing would be trigger control. So, um, you have to have good trigger control. You have to have, um, the correct pressure. You have to have good follow through. You have to really have good trigger control. So make sure that you're, you're pulling it, you know, you're not pulling on the trigger. Um, you're releasing that trigger. So, you know, you're not, you don't want to take when you're shooting. It's just, you have to have a very strict trigger control to make sure that you're not being detrimental to your shot. You know, when you have a shot, there has to be a smooth uh, trigger press and correct pressure on that trigger. So trigger control is the next thing. Um, the best thing that you can do though, this would be my number one is visualization. So, um, visualization is something you can do, even if you don't have your rifle or your, your pistol or whatever it is with you, visualization is essential. And this is what changed my life in shooting it. Um, and it's not just, so visualization can go from the very beginning all the way to the end. You can visualize an entire competition. You can visualize a training session. You can visualize the failures. You can visualize the, um, the winning that happens. You can visualize every single aspect of a competition. So what I would do is, um, and I would do this in dry fire sessions is, you know, I, um, I pick up my rifle and I take some deep breaths and I'm getting ready to look through the sights, but I'm just holding my head over them. And I close my eyes and I imagine, I imagine my eyes meeting those sights and seeing the perfect sight picture. And then I imagine pulling that trigger and, um, seeing the perfect shot, imagine following the bullet through shooting a 10. And then I imagine the follow through and I imagine coming off the gun. And then I actually open my eyes and perform that. And when you go through that, those steps of visualization, you are increasing your chances of actually seeing that shot through. So you're increasing your performance automatically just by doing the visualization. And, um, if you have your rifle, that's great. Cause you can, you can actually be in position and imagine that whole thing. Um, you can imagine things getting in the way you can imagine the wind, you can imagine how you're going to react to the wind. Um, you can imagine having a perfect score and you know, how are you going to mentally deal with that? You can visualize every single aspect of the competition competition. And I think it's really important to, um, to dive into that visualization and apply that and take that with you, not only in training, but into your competition and let yourself visualize for every single shot. If you can, or visualize before you go through, um, a stage or visualize what's going to happen and how you'll combat some of the things that might pop up and get in the way. Cause as things, you know, do actually get in the way, um, which it's almost inevitable that something's going to happen that you're not expecting. But if you expect something to get in the way, whether you don't know what it is or not, you'll know how to deal with it and you'll know how to move through it. So just from a practicality standpoint here, one of the questions I get a lot is if I am, you know, in my basement and I'm, I'm aiming at the light switch on the wall or, or a target I stuck up there and I don't get that kind of feedback, like I can't afford a scat system or, or anything like that. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to know that they're doing better with their trigger control? Um, I think it's consistency. So I think that you, you'll know what you're supposed to be doing. So you know what a what a smooth trigger pull feels like. Um, you know, it's not jerking the trigger. It's a very smooth process. Sometimes you have a two stage trigger, you know, you pull up the first stage first and you can wait on that second stage before you, um, before you release the trigger. So, uh, you know, it's that smooth trigger pull all the way through, um, not jerking it back, not moving your whole hand, you know, it's using the correct, the pad of your finger correctly. Um, 
whatever it's supposed to be done correctly for you, just be consistent with that and be intentional about it. And that's one of the biggest things in shooting is like, be intentional about about what you're doing. Don't just rely on the fact that you think you know what you're doing. It's do a, do a mental mind check as you're going through to make sure that you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing correctly. So if you know what you're supposed to be doing with your trigger pull, just be intentional about applying that each time. Um, you know, put specific focus on it to, see how smoothly you can pull that trigger and how little movement you can have as you're pulling that trigger. And I think that just being consistent about that would really help. Okay. All right. And Amanda, here's my last question. And I asked this one to everybody. It's going to sound a little negative, but you take time to think about it. <laughs> what is the one thing you wish people would stop doing immediately? Okay. Um, let me think about this for a second. The one thing I wish people would stop doing. Okay. The one thing that I wish people would stop doing in shooting is being negative. And um, people are negative and almost compare their negativity to see who had it worse. And, um, you know, it's, oh, I totally, I missed that shot or I missed this or I didn't do this or Oh, that score wasn't that great. Um, you're like, Oh, I, I had poor trigger control or the wind was blowing too hard. And, um, there are always so many excuses and so many things that you can be negative about. And I wish that people would stop doing that. I think that, um, if you look at the most successful people, they're absolutely positive. So people need to get rid of that negativity, um, their negative thoughts and to start thinking positively about themselves instead of thinking, don't shoot a nine, don't shoot an eight, don't miss that target. It's like, I'm going to hit that target. I'm going to shoot a 10. I'm going to knock this out of the park. You know, I'm going to win. And it's about changing that mindset from negative to positive to actually have a great impact on their performance. That was a good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That's like one of my big things is positivity. It's, it's so essential for being a good shooter. Okay. All right. Well, Amanda, um, thank you very much for this conversation. If anybody wants to find you or your blog or social media, where can they find you? Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I think my Instagram handle is at Amanda underscore Banta and, um, Twitter, Amanda underscore fur F U R R E R. Um, I'm not sure what it is on Facebook. I can't remember my blog though, um, where I share all of my insights on, on shooting and, um, business and life in general, parenting, everything performance related is winning dash insights.com. And that's kind of a play on words, you know, it's winning insights, shooting related, but it's also insights into winning. So, um, yeah, I share a lot of great info on there. So you can find kind of a lot of stuff that we're talking about right now. Great. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. So let's talk about my key takeaways. It was really hard to narrow down a few from this one because we talked about a lot of things. So if I'm trying to pick down like my top three things, the first one is going to be a very practical way to think about your goals. Now, the example that Amanda gave was putting the big dream goal, the one you stick on the side of the refrigerator, put it there. But as I had a commander who used to say, you can wish in one hand or poop in the other, see which one fills up first. So a goal without a plan is a wish, and that's not good enough for us. 
So the next step, once you have your big goal, is to break it into smaller sub-goals. And then you take those sub-goals and you break those into sub-sub-goals. All right, so you're decomposing this further and further. All right, now once you have those, you turn them into daily actionable items. Whether that means that's 10 minutes of dry practice today, doing your malfunctions. Maybe it means you're doing mental drills. Maybe it means doing some physical training. But do one thing every day that moves you towards that goal, whatever it is. And then once you achieve it, already know what the next goal is going to be in the line. Now, as Amanda said, the hard part of this is not just setting the goals, but actually sticking to the discipline to make it happen. Now, one of the other things we talked about, kind of my takeaway number two, was what it takes to be the best. So aside from the commitment piece of this and the discipline to make things happen, I was really interested in the way she talked about the mental game and resilience and ownership and how important it is to bounce back from your losses and your wins. I never thought that it might actually also be hard to be a consistent winner because the expectations go so high. Now, ownership was a big piece of this, and I, I really agree with what she said here, and I think it also speaks back to someone like Jocko Willing who talks about extreme ownership, is that you have to stop making excuses for things. You have to accept that everything that is within your control is in your control, and you need to take control of that to make sure that you bend it to your will. Anywhere you give up room, you're letting chance happen. And when it comes to being an Olympic athlete, if you want to be the best, why would you ever not take every advantage you possibly could to be the best within reason? No cheating. And my third big takeaway, I think, kind of stems from that one, and that is winning is winning. And that sounds kind of silly when I think about it now, but what it really means is Winning is a process. Winning is not just something you do one time. Winning is a process, and it doesn't matter whether it's an Olympic shooting event or a business or a blog or getting that promotion at work. The process of setting the goal, of being resilient, of having the discipline to see it through and owning the process, that is winning. All right, that's my big takeaways. You can find today's show notes at everydaymarksman.co. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. Maybe join my email list. And hey, if you really enjoy what you're listening to today, you can come by everydaymarksman.co forward slash support. And for the cost of a box of ammo, you can make sure content keeps flowing and keep our community growing. All right, that is it for me. Have a wonderful weekend. I will see you next week. Take care.